Um, and uh, we, we, we get into the reign of King Solomon. Um, we have already heard a few times um, <clears throat> in our short study of First Kings after David died, so practically chapter 2, we've heard a couple times, a few times, that his kingdom was established. Twice it says that it was firmly established. In other words, it was immovable at this point. It, it, in, in other words, there was no doubt who would or who is now king. And even though there had been those who had tried to become king or make themselves king, God was not calling them to be king. He had called Solomon. And Solomon is now the third king of Israel. Now, from the birth of the nation of Israel, hundreds years, hundreds of years earlier, Israel had been ruled by God under a, a theocracy to where God was the one that gave them the instructions through the priests and through even the prophets. They had been ruled by a theocracy. And now Israel wanted to be just like all the other nations. And so they wanted to be ruled by a king. So they wanted to be under a monarchy. And when Solomon's kingdom is now established, the nation of Israel has been under a monarchy now for about 80 years. First king, Saul, reigned for about 40 years. David, the second king, even though there was another uh, Saul's son who wanted to become king, but called himself king, but never was called by God to be king. He wanted to be king, but David reigned, and he reigned a total of about 40 years. So now it's been about 80 years that the nation of Israel has been under a monarchy. And so God gave them basically what they wanted, and they wanted a king. Because they wanted to be like the, all the other nations. But even though God gave them what they wanted, they could never be like all the other nations. And the reason being was that God could never let them go just like that. He said, I will give you a king, but that king needs to seek me. In other words, I am still your God and I will always be your God. And you know, it's interesting because sometimes when we come, we come to the Lord and, and now we're a different creation. We are now ruled by God, basically. But we want to do the things of the world. We want to be like the world at times. And God says, you can try, but you will never be satisfied in the world because I am over you. <laughs> and we could ignore God. I was talking to somebody even today who, who, who just feels that, that because they're not in church all the time, that they're not, they're not with God. And I know some people feel that, but it's like, no, that doesn't make you a Christian being in church. God does not leave you going, well, you don't want to come to my house? I won't be a part of your life. And it doesn't work that way. And, and yet we think those kinds of thoughts. Once you are in Christ... I don't care how far you want to run or ignore God. He, he still has his hand upon you. 
And it just seems like the nation of Israel, as we will see from here on out after uh, King Saul or even during his reign, there will be those kings that want to do their own thing and God is still going to be God over them. They will continue to be in, in this monarchy for, for hundreds of years. But God's never going to leave the nation of Israel. So as much as they want to be just like everybody else, they can never be just like everybody else. Today, even today, the nation of Israel cannot be like every other nation. They can't. God's hand is still upon them. Oh, we are in the age of grace and we are in the church age, but God has not forgotten Israel, not for one moment ever. And he will never forget Israel. And so even though Israel wanted a king, uh, God still wanted that king to seek him. And so 1 Kings chapter 3, the first four verses, we are going to aim to finish this chapter today. It says, Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David, until he had finished building a, his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord in, until those days. So Sol- And Solomon loved the Lord, walked in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burnt offerings at the high places. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Now, um, going back to verse 1, and and, and I want to camp at verse 1 for a time, um, not for all the time, but it's going to seem like that. Um, now, it, it, it almost sounds like it's no big deal that he is making a treaty with, with Egypt. It, it almost feels like it's fine and dandy, given the fact that, that God had told David in First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 9, he says, Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his enemies around, all around. His name shall be Solomon, for I will give peace and quietness to Israel all his days. So the fact that he is making treaties doesn't sound all that bad because he will be a man of peace. As a matter of fact, the name Solomon means peaceful. And so he would be, uh, or he would have peace throughout his reign. And so in order to have peace, you kind of almost have to go outside your borders to make sure that there will be peace. Because again, when, when you have these situations where you have borders and you have neighbors and you have other nations, well, there might be conflict. And we see that even in David's reign and even in Saul's reign, there was always conflict. Now, a lot of that had to do with the Palestinian area that the, the that the Philistines were always at war and they were kind of from within, but there was there was enemies from without from the other side of the Jordan and as far south as Egypt and so now Solomon 
in an effort to make peace, he, he will be making treaties with other nations. Again, it doesn't seem like there's anything wrong with that. What God did not want from the nation of Israel when He said that you are going into the promised land, He really didn't want them to make treaties with those from within, all the ites that were within, that they were to destroy. Now, as far as other nations outside those borders, He didn't mind that they would be at peace with them. As we see, as we will see, uh, the king of Tyre was really close. There was a treaty between them. And we're going to see, as he begins to build the house of the Lord, that, that he had this, this amazing trade deal with them. Now, making this trade deal or this treaty with Egypt in, uh, would help Egypt a lot. It would help Israel a lot, but it would help Egypt a lot because there's this trade route that goes from Egypt all the way up north to Syria. And instead of going around Israel, now they could go through. And so this treaty was going to be beneficial for, for all of them. Now it's interesting that Israel was one of, or Egypt was one of Israel's oldest enemies per se, if you remember back in Exodus. And, and the slaves that were in, in Egypt. And then coming out of Egypt. And there was always that, that tension there. And so now we have this treaty that is made with them. And he will be making treaties with other nations. This is the first treaty that he will enter into. Oftentimes treaties involved marriage. The marriage of a daughter. The daughter of the king. Now it wasn't necessary... But this is the first treaty that he's making. And apparently there was a nice looking daughter there probably that Solomon's going, yeah, I'll make a treaty. Now understand, Solomon's a youngster here. Solomon is probably, if maybe, possibly 20 years old, maybe younger. And he's already getting married. But he's the king. He could do whatever he wants. But this will be the first wife of many as we shall see in chapter 11, where it tells us that he had 700 wives. 700 wives and 300 concubines. And it's like, how many treaties did you make, young man? (laughs) Now, I could guarantee you there was probably not that many nations (laughs) to make treaties with. He was just marrying everything around him, it seemed like. Anything that had a pulse, basically, it's like, hey. Um, 700 wives, it's like, God never intended that. It's interesting because in Deuteronomy, when God said, hey, when your kings come into power, when I do give you a king, guess what they're going to want to do? They're going to want to multiply wives, but you shall not do that. They're going to want to multiply horses and chariots and all these things, and I don't want the king of Israel to do that. But it seems like they didn't remember that part, which is kind of interesting because in, in Deuteronomy, it said, I think it was in Deuteronomy, it says that these kings would, would write down the law. So they'd write their own book of De- Deuteronomy. And I don't know how they felt when it, they got to that portion, but maybe it's like us when we read certain portions of Scripture, it's like, oh, I don't like that, that probably doesn't apply to me. 
And that's maybe what happened with these kings. It's like, not multiply, what? what? Not multiply, why is I have 700 of these chikaroonies back here, man? Come on. Anyways, there really wasn't nothing wrong with making treaties or making peace with your neighbor. And again, making this allegiance with another country, um, then it, it, it made for a long peace time, as long as these kings were, were in power. And, and, and it made for this mutual political respect with one another. Now, Solomon didn't have to marry anybody. He really didn't to make a treaty. But this would guarantee peace for them. But it would come at a price. It really would. Deuteronomy chapter 7, um, verses 3 and 4, it says, Nor shall you make marriage with them. With He was talking about those in Israel, but he says, Don't make marriage with them. You shall not give your daughters, your daughter to their sons, nor take their daughters for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. And so there was a warning in the book of Deuteronomy about taking foreign wives. Because the, the, the thing would be that they could turn your heart away from the Lord. And, and as we shall see, that's exactly what would happen. Now, it's interesting. What caught my eye here as I was looking this over, where it says that Solomon made a treaty with the king of, Israel, uh, of Egypt. Um, sometimes, um, sometimes Egypt... In, in scripture is a picture of the world. And so as I'm, I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, you know, it's almost like Solomon is, is making a treaty with the world. And a couple of scriptures came to mind from James chapter 4, uh, verse 4, says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And then in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And so that's kind of caught my eye that, that here Solomon is is wanting to make treaty. Again, understandable. There's nothing wrong with that. But now he's marrying into this treaty. And again, it will, it will affect him later on. And so for us, I think oftentimes when we look at things like this, when, when we see that Egypt is, is usually a picture of the world, that we would be careful in our treaty making. We are, we are to have a good report or reproach um, not only from within but outside the church but it doesn't mean that we have to make treaties with those outside the church we have to live in the world but we don't have to be a part of 
the world and what they want. But once you get married to the world, then it kind of affects your relationship, even as Christians. And so we are to touch this world lightly. We have to be out in the world. Jesus says, I don't pray that you would take them out of the world or else how will they hear, basically. I'm paraphrasing. But he says that he prayed for us. Those who us, those of us who have to be in the world, and so we, I, I it just, it, it just hit me as I was studying this that there was a marriage between Solomon and the world in this sense. Now, the daughter of of, of Pharaoh more than likely was converted to Judaism, um, but I'm not sure if she was or not. Most commentator would said he probably would not have married her if she had not converted to Judaism. Now, he will be marrying other heathens after this. Um, so he just kind of let down his guard and lowered his standards, I, I believe, in many ways. It's quite possible because she was the first wife that, um, that she did in this, but I don't know. He did bring her to the house or to the city of David, but not so much to the house of David. In in Second Chronicles eight, eleven, it says, "Now Solomon brought the daughter of Pharaoh from or up from the city of David to the house he built for her, for he said, My wife shall not dwell in the house of David, king of Israel, because the place to which the ark." of the Lord has come is holy. And so again, you're almost like, well, did she convert or not convert? Because he had enough respect for where the ark would be or had been that he would not bring something that was unholy to that place. So now it says in verse 2 to 4 that meanwhile, while all this is going on, and the time frame, I'm not exactly sure, but it's still early on in his in his kingdom says meanwhile the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built before or for the name of the lord until those days and solomon loved the lord walked in the the statues of his father except that he sacrificed and burnt offerings at these high places and 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 says now the king went to gibeon to sacrifice there now god's purpose in this whole thing was that there would be a centralized place that they could come and worship. Now, this is before the temple is built. And if you remember, they had, for the longest time, Israel, they would go and worship in Shiloh. If you remember back in chapter in, in the beginning of, of 1 Samuel, Shiloh was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was. And then when the Philistines took it and they burned up Shiloh, for over a hundred years, it really wasn't a place where they went and worshipped. But God always wanted them to have this, this, this centralized place. And Gibeon here would be the place where they would now worship. But we know that King David had built some kind of a tabernacle or something similar to that. Because the tabernacle was probably over in Gibeon. But we know that the ark was in Jerusalem for a time. We just heard about it. Um, in in uh, in what I read in first or second chronicles chapter eleven now when Israel entered into the land of Israel, the heathen, the people that lived there already, they would go worship in high places it it says, 
And high places was a mound or even a mountain because, again, it was almost like they would go to worship. Not so much the God of heaven, but they would go worship at these high places. And, and they were told, whenever you go into the kingdom or into the land, when you go to these high places, go and destroy the idols that are there, lest you fall and, and, and follow these idols. And so the high places became a place where, where it was a place of heathen worship. But Israel would do the same thing because they did not have a temple. They had a tabernacle in that sense, but they really did not have a a, a stabilized place. And so oftentimes they would go worship God on a hill or somewhere high. And again, it almost kind of goes back to getting closer to heaven from the earth so you would go on to high places. And so the high places often had a stigma attached to it. And for all these years, they had been worshiping in Shiloh. And now they weren't. They were going to Gibeon to, to go to the high place there and worship as well. And so again, until the place was, was built for God's uh, temple to be, be at, they would go to these places. And it says that Solomon, he, would, he went also and he offered a thousand burnt offerings there in Gibeon. Now, I, I, I love the fact, and we have to understand, and Gibeah was about five miles north of Jerusalem. We, we, we have to see verse 3 where it says that Solomon loved the Lord. He loved the Lord. He wasn't, he wasn't sacrificing to idols. He wasn't doing something wrong. There just wasn't a place for them to go and worship. So Gibeon was that place of worship. And so he loved the Lord. He had a heart for the Lord. He, he began walking in the statutes of the Lord. And it's interesting because even in Proverbs, he talks about finishing, um, walking right and stuff. But, but it's not always the way you start. It's the way you finish the race. A lot of us can start a race, but how are you going to finish? And we look at, at his life and, and we see right off the bat that he, he loved the Lord. He walked according to the statutes of his father. He, he, he did those things that were right. But towards the end of his life, he wasn't finishing well. Now, I do believe that he finished well. But because of all the women that were in his life, and we all know women are evil, that, um, I'm kidding, but some of them can be. Um, but they, they drew his heart away from the Lord. And, 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 and he wasn't walking the way he should. And, and you can go through the book of Ecclesiastes and you see that towards the end of his life, he says, everything is futile, man. Everything is done. Everything is, there's nothing new. And, and he tried everything. I mean, again, man, he had everything going for him, but he started off well. And we need to be careful in our walks that, that we start off well, but we also finish well in consistency with the Lord. Um, verse 5, it says, <clears throat> At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask. What shall I give you? And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. 
You have continued this great kindness for him. And you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, Lord, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child and I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? So as he is up in Gibeon, as he is worshiping the Lord, as he has spent time in sacrifice and giving to the Lord all that he possibly could, that night or one of those nights, it says that the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now, the Lord speaks in dreams sometimes. That's not out of the ordinary. We see that throughout the scriptures that that, that God can speak through dreams. And the question, because I, I, I've gotten this question, can God, does God still do that in dreams? And I wouldn't put it past him. But we need to be careful with dreams because it could have just been what you ate the night before. You ate late, blah, blah, all that stuff. We dream some crazy dreams and they are not all from the Lord. Do they all have a meeting? I don't know. But I would say if the Lord was to do that even today, we, we have his word to test those dreams. I'm not saying that he doesn't or he can't give us visions and he can't give us dreams. But we have his word, the total word, that we can test all things. But that night, as the Lord appears to him in a dream, the Lord or God says, ask. And in, in your Bible, I'm sure it's in mine, it's ask, exclamation point. And it's almost a command that he gives him, ask. Just ask. And then he asks the question, what shall I give you? Can you imagine having a dream like that? Where God shows up and he gives you a command, ask. And then he asks the question, what shall I give you? I, I, I don't know what our response would be. I don't know what your response, I don't know how quick you would answer that. <laughs> I guess it would depend where your heart is at. When God says, hey, ask me anything. Ask, what shall I give you? It's like, <laughs> you know. But, but we're giving that, that opportunity when, when we read in, in the gospel where Jesus said that, that about his Holy Spirit coming into our lives and stuff. And he says, and you shall ask anything in my name and I will give it to you. We have that opportunity because he, he asks us, ask anything, come to me. But, but can you imagine if, if you are in this place of authority that God has put you in and you're a young man, you're a young child as he says and God's saying ask me what you need what do you want what do you want me to give to you 
Can you imagine what he is going through now? If he was a great warrior, he probably would have said, I want my enemy's head. That's what I need because I don't want to be fighting all the time. Or if he was other things, he might have. But he is a young man. Again, he's probably early or late teens, early 20s. And God has given him this amazing kingdom. And he says, ask me. Ask me whatever you need, Solomon. And again, Solomon, he could have asked for whatever. And what Solomon begins to do here, as he responds to him in his dream, he goes back and, 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 and he talks about his faithfulness. He says, you have shown great mercy. You have shown great mercy to my father. Because he walked in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness and in, in, in heart. He says, you have shown me, or you have, you have shown great mercy, and you have continued. You have, you have shown, and you have continued your great kindness for him. God didn't stop when David died. He had continued this work that he wanted to do. And then he says, and you have given him. And so he's talking about, man, God, you have been so faithful that you have shown mercy. You continue to sh- with this great kindness and you have given him a son to take over the kingdom. And so it's almost like God says, ask me, what do you want? And he says, I have to remind you who you are. You're amazing, God. You've been so faithful. You have shown up. You have shown mercy. You, you, you have continued to show that kindness. And you have blessed my father by putting a man on the throne. And in verse 7, he says, Now, O Lord my God, you have made. You have made your servant king. Man, you have shown. You have continued. You have given. And now you have made. And so it's almost like he he went to the past and look at your faithfulness, Lord. Look at what you're doing today. You have made me king over my father's throne. And he was grateful for that. But I love the fact that, that he says here, he says, but I am a child and I don't know, or I, I do not know how to come, go out or to come in. Again, once again, this young man going, I have no clue what I'm doing. I don't know how to, and, and what he's saying, I don't know how to run this thing. I don't know how to go into it, and I don't know how to come out of it. I don't know what, what I'm supposed to be doing, Lord. This is so great for me. And I love the humility of, 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 of this young man here who, who has been in charge of this whole thing. He says, I am a child, and I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to walk into the courtyard. I don't even know how to back up. Do I, do I curtsy? Do, do people curtsy to me? What, what, how, how does that happen? How, how is this supposed to work with me? I, I've seen it with my dad, but I'm not my dad. I'm a lot younger than my dad. He says in verse 8, And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. And so he almost reminds him, you've put me in a, in a place where, where you've called me to rule and look over your people, and I don't know how to do that. They're too great 
They're your people, Lord. And in verse 9, he says, Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people. Give me an understanding heart. And that word understanding is is a, a hearing heart. Give me a hearing heart so I can hear what you say so I can obey it. I need an understanding heart. It's interesting because we often say that, that, that he asked for wisdom and God gave him wisdom. He didn't ask for wisdom. I pray for an understanding heart, a hearing heart. Lord, I want to hear your heart. I, want, I don't want to know your heart. I want to hear your heart. There's a difference. And knowing up here and understanding down here. And that's what he is saying, Lord, I need to know what your heart is for your people. Because Solomon, again, we've already seen this in his, in his back chapter. And, and again, maybe, maybe this happened before chapter 2. I don't know. Except that we've seen him already dealing with the people in the kingdom. So it's quite possible that God had already began to, to, to pour into him an understanding heart of what he was supposed to do. And it was harsh at that time. And it's not like he's going to get any nicer. <laughs> it's interesting because David and, and Solomon are totally two different people. At the end of, of, Sol- of David's reign, man, it, it was a, a heartbreak. It was a sad time. At the end of, of, of Solomon's reign, they're going to go, please give us somebody who is nicer and kinder. He's going to be a hard man. But now, at this time, in the beginning... He's saying, I need to understand your people, Lord. And I need you to give me that kind of heart because I can't rule them with what I know. (laughs) Because what I know I can destroy with. And that's not what I need and that's not what your people need. Guys, I I, I don't know if God has put you in, in whatever leadership role, whether in family or work or church, whatever the case may be. We need to pray for a heart of understanding. Lord, I want to know. I want to hear you. I want to hear your instruction. Not what what I can learn. I want to know your heart. Because it's easy to learn and have all this knowledge of, of who God is, but not truly understand his heart and how to minister to the people that God has entrusted you with, whether at work or at church or at home that you would know what God wants so that we're not destroying. <laughs> he says, I, 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 I want to be able to judge your people so I can, I can discern between good and evil and be able to judge this great people of yours. And so you see this tenderness about this man. And in verse 10, It says, the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself or have asked riches for yourself or have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice, Behold, I have done according to your words. See, 
I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that so there has not been anyone like you before nor shall anyone any like you arise after you and I have also given you what you have not asked both riches and honor so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father walked, then I will lengthen your days. Then Solomon awoke, and indeed it had been a dream. It it had been a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, burnt, offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. I, again, I, it kind of trips me out, this whole thing. It's a dream that had happened. And yet he wakes up and it's so real. And it's actually like legit. It wasn't like this pizza that he ate it. At night, and he woke up, he's like, whoa, that was kind of crazy. And then he goes on with his regular life, and there was no, like, wisdom or knowledge. It's like, no, this was for real. This dream, what he, and the conversation that he had with God, and God says, I like what you said. Because you didn't ask for all these other things. And I could only imagine that if, that, that if God had offered you know, other people or he knew other people's lives, he knew that what a, a normal person would ask for would be riches, would be long life, would be his enemies. And he asked for none of those things. Again, what would you ask for <laughs> if tonight, man, you're in your bed and all of a sudden God says, hey, ask. And you're going to say, what? Ask. What shall I give you? What would be your response to him? What, what's in your heart today that you would be asking for certain things that would please the Lord? And you're going, ah, oh, no, that, well, if you're going to put that caveat in there, you know, it's like, oh, I have to please the Lord. Never mind. I'm not going to ask because he's not going to give it to me. But I love the fact that, that Solomon was just so open and so honest and in a place that he's just going, I need understanding, Lord. I need to be able to guide your people. I need to know what you say and, and things like that. And, and, and so it's, it pleased the Lord. And he says, because you, you, you have asked for this thing and you haven't asked for these other things, I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to give you wisdom and understanding to do what is right. On top of that, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give you what you didn't even ask for. I'm going to bless you on top of that. And isn't that just like our God? That He would bless you beyond measure because you're His child? Again, you know, it's like, God, why would you, why would you go above and beyond with Solomon? You already gave him what he asked for. Why would you give him any more? And then you're, you, you, you say these crazy things. Man, there has never been a man like you and there will never be a man like you ever, especially in your days. Man, we have the book of, of Proverbs to, to understand the wisdom that God had given this man. 
And even right now, as we, as we move forward, as I look at the clock back there, in verse 16, we're going to see the wisdom that he gives this man, this young king. And it says, Now two women were, who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. And one woman said, O oh my Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house. And I gave birth while she was in the house. And it happened on the third, the third day after I had given birth that this woman also gave birth. And we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I arose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was, dead. But when I had examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had bore. Then the other woman said, No, but the living one is my son, and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, No, but the dead one is your son, and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. And the king said, The one says, This is my son who lives and your son is the dead one. And the other says, no, but your son is dead, the dead one. And my son is the living one. And the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king for she yearned with compassion for her for her son and she said oh my lord give her the living child and by no means kill him but the other said let him be neither mine nor her uh, nor yours but divide him so the king answered and said give the first woman the living child and by no means kill him so she, she is his mother. And all Israel heard the judgment which the king had rendered. And uh, they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was on him to administer justice. You know, as, as I look at this story, I kind of look back and it's like, I would have made the same kind of judgment. I would have done the same thing. It's like, we don't know that, <laughs> that you know, because we, I, I know history is like, of course, yeah, yeah, you do this, and that, that would be the outcome, but it's like, no, I'm not that wise. But, but, but here, this test, and, and we get this story here to show us that God truly had given him wisdom. Again, here's this young king, and these two women, these two harlots, have access to the throne. 
to be able to come and discuss this issue before the throne. And it almost seems petty because they're prostitutes. It's like, why would they have a place in the kingdom to go to the king? And as you think about that, it's like, then who are we to go into the throne room of God's grace? But he lets us. And, and, and here we have the story of King Solomon allowing these people to come and this dispute that is before them. And the situation that's before them. And the wisdom that God gave him was, bring me a sword and we'll divide this baby. And in true fashion of a mother, a true mother who had compassion says, no, I know he's my son, but I would rather live, have him live. And in that, and that, that other woman was going, fine with me. She probably shook her head like, uh-uh, it's not yours, not mine. I don't care. I don't care. But all this sad. Right? It's like, just that head motion would have said, give her the, I don't care if it is hers, give it to her. But just in that wisdom that, that, that God gave him, it's like, that mother has no compassion, not for her own child, not for another child. I don't know what happened to that woman. If she got punished for lying or doing whatever, it doesn't tell us. But the moral of the story is that God had given this king what he asked for. He wanted understanding. He wanted an understanding heart. And God gave him that. You know, the, the, the Bible tells us in James that if you lack wisdom, ask. And he is willing to give you wisdom. You see, the wisdom that, that Solomon had here, again, we're never going to be as smart as him, but... If you need wisdom, ask for wisdom. And he will give it to you liberally. He won't spare. He won't hold back. You want wisdom? You want true wisdom? It is all found in in the Word of God right here. So that you can discern good and evil. To be able to judge his great people, the great people of of his. But again, to, to make wise choices, wise judgments to discern good and evil it's all right here in the word of god yes we understand that solomon god god granted him what he wanted and more so but we through his holy spirit today in the age that we live in get to experience that same kind of wisdom from god and so if you if you lack wisdom ask of him and he will give it to you liberally amen let's pray Father in heaven, thank you so much. Once again, Lord God, to be able to read your word. Lord, I know that these stories, Lord God, are lessons for us that we can learn. Lord, as we contemplate, Lord God, just the command that you gave Solomon to ask. Lord, we know that Jesus said the same thing, that if we ask anything in his name, that you will give it to us, Lord. And Father, I pray, God, that we would always desire to ask for those things that will glorify you, that will bring glory to you, Father. I pray, God, that as we ask in our life, Lord God, we would do those things and ask for those things that would please you, Lord. And so, Father, I pray that for my brothers and sisters who are here in this room, that you would fill them to overflowing with your wisdom. 
and give them above and beyond what they even ask, Lord, in wisdom and understanding. Because you're so good to us, Lord. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing this last song.